Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Heidi ho <laughs> They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is my boomstick! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode number 53 of the Horror Crypt Podcast. Now, would you believe I did something that I completely forgot to do last time, and I'm going to do it right now. So, last week was episode number 52. That means that every single week since the beginning of... Well, put it this way. Last week was my anniversary. One year anniversary of doing this podcast. So, every week for 52 weeks, I managed to do a podcast and get it out to you good people so you could listen to it, sit there and enjoy. Um, I did... Yes, I've just completely skipped over the fact that I did was actually my anniversary uh, last week. So I want to thank everyone for coming out and uh, enjoying this podcast. I know everyone's downloading it, but let me ask you a bit of a question just between us. Come, come closer. You close? Okay. All right. How many of you have actually told anybody about this podcast? Uh, oh yeah, I see a couple of hands here and there. Um, how many people have sent an email or a text message or even called someone and said, listen, how about you come to listen to this podcast? It's a great uh, podcast. Paul's a great guy. He, he provides us with an entertainment every single week. How many of you have you done that? Mm, not seeing a whole lot. No, no, not a, not a whole lot. But there are people that are putting up their hands saying, yes, I've done that. So how many of you are actually listening, when you, whatever platform you listen to, whether you do Spotify or whatever it is, how many people are actually following me on those ones? How many of you actually follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook? Not so much Twitter. Forget about Twitter. Instagram and Facebook. How many of you have actually sent me an email to say, hey, I'm enjoying the, the show, and could you do this sort of movie, or could you review this movie? I'm not seeing a whole lot. So what I'm going to do, before we get started, is I'm going to take some time out for you. I'm not going to do any more podcasts. I'm just going to just sit here and just wait for you. Um, and I want you to get on the phone right now. Text, email, phone, fax, get a pigeon from the garden, tie a note to its foot and say, go to this person's house, and tell them about my podcast. So I'm going to stop the podcast right now. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and wait. I'll put on some quiet music waiting for you. Um, and I want you to go away now and uh, contact somebody and say, listen, follow this guy. Come and listen to this guy. Uh, it's well worth it. So in saying that, I'll just wait here while you go and do it. A few moments later. So have we done it yet? Oh, no, there's still a couple there that are still trying to get their emails done. So I'll wait and I'll come back. And we're back. Okay, so thank you very much, everyone, for downloading this uh, this podcast and coming to have a listen every single week. As I said, it's amazing that it's been 52 weeks and it's been an entire year. Come rain, hail, shine, sickness, I was there and I was doing it and I'm just going to chug along for another 52 and so however many years I keep going because I really thoroughly enjoy each and every one of you coming here to uh, enjoy this time with me. So thank you once again. Look, before I get started, remember I'm on all social platforms, Instagram and Facebook at HorrorCryptOz, and you can send me a direct message at HorrorCrypt2022 at gmail.com. 
Now, today's movie that we're going to be reviewing, this one is a rather surprising movie simply because of where it's actually um, uh, situated. It's not a, you know, it's it's something that I never actually thought that actually do. And I actually, you know, watching this movie, thought to myself, you know, they actually did pull this off rather well. There was a trouble with the production, and I'll get into more of that as we go along. But uh, last week I did give you the uh, bit of a trailer before we, you know, we got to this day. But uh, I'm going to tell you again: it is the 1997 sci-fi horror film *Event Horizon*. This one stars uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, Kathleen Quinn, and Jolie Richardson. And it's set in 2047. It follows a crew of astronauts sent on a space rescue mission after a missing spaceship, the Event Horizon, spontaneously appears in an orbit around Neptune. Searching the ship for signs of life, they learn that the Event Horizon was a testbed for an experimental engine that created a rift in the time-space continuum and left our entire, uh, sorry, left our universe entirely, allowing a malevolent force to possess it. So. That one, it's it's a very interesting movie. I they've got some great jump scares. I think there was actually supposed to be more to it, and they did actually say as we go along when we get back from um, listening to the trailer, um, I'll tell you exactly what had actually happened in this movie. But uh, there seemed to be they felt like there was supposed to be more of it. Um, but I'll tell you as we go along. But before we get started, remember we love to listen to the trailer, and I love playing it for you. So sit back and relax because here comes the trailer for Event Horizon. This morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the event horizon. She's come back. The event horizon is the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster-than-light flight. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where has she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years in deep space... There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening the outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? This place is a tomb. But it didn't come back Help us. 
So we start to see the opening shot of the movie, and the movie has a, uh, a lot of text that they actually put up on the screen. So the opening of the movie starts off where we see a scrolling text that says, 2015, first permanent colony established on the moon. Then it goes on to say, 2032, commercial mining begins on Mars. So that text is then followed by 2040, deep space research vessel Event Horizon launched to explore the boundaries of solar system. She disappears without a trace beyond the eighth planet Neptune. It is the worst space disaster on record. And then the last part of the scrolling text, 2047, now. So this then transitions into a wide shot of watching an asteroid going floating through the, the solar system. And of course, we come up against this ship. Now we are assuming that it is the, the Event Horizon, and we actually are told it is, because at the front of the ship there is a little sign saying Event Horizon. This ship is enormous, and it's got this massive corridor in between the first part of the ship and the back part of the ship, but we'll get into that. Of course, as we then transition into the um, into the ship, we see that, you know, obviously there's no gravity in there and there's a lot of things floating around all over the place. We then go you know, below deck into the front part of the ship where we see a guy, we assume it's a guy, that is completely and utterly messed up. He's just floating along. He has got cuts all over his body. He's got no eyes whatsoever. And he's just got this look of absolute sheer and utter terror on his face. That then transitions into Sam Neill waking up in his quarters and getting ready for his day and then we see that he's standing on um what can only be a, called as a really shitty looking space station that, that's uh, around the the earth but it really is not the greatest looking space station ever i mean you'd think for the amount of money that this movie uh, was you know trying to generate it would have actually done some pretty good special effects as, as far as the uh, the look of the space station the look of the ship the event horizon is absolutely amazing I, I love the look of the ship and there's just so much action and adventure in this movie but i'll get into what was actually happening so the film had a troubled production with the filming and editing rushed by paramount when it became clear that titanic would not meet its projected release the original the original 130 minute cut of the film was heavily edited by the studio's demands and unfortunately it was the director that actually had to um, basically bow down and say, yep, okay, I'll, I'll do it. On release, the film was a commercial and critical failure, grossing $42 million on a $60 million budget. However, it began to sell well on the home video, and initially DVD re uh, release sold well, so that Paramount contacted the, the then um, director, Mr. Um, Paul Anderson, and wanted him to begin working on the restoration of the deleted footage. But it had been lost either lost or destroyed. In the years since, the film has slowly built a cult following and is often referred to uh, in popular culture. So, you know, that's actually not too bad. It released, was released on the 15th of August 1997 and the United Kingdom on the 22nd of August 1997. It goes for 96 minutes. There's not a whole lot of parts of this movie that you're sitting there going, okay, so can we speed up the process? I mean... You know, there's a lot of plot holes in this movie, unfortunately, and it really comes down to it would be really good if they hadn't have really destroyed this movie to try and get it out ahead of um, Titanic. I mean, regardless of whatever movie you were going to release around that time, Titanic was going to blow it out of the water. And I, I do understand that Paramount wanted to get it you know, out as soon as possible, but unfortunately, it's almost like they want to get it out ahead of the the quality of the movie. Anyone can release a movie very, very quickly. It depends on if you want quality over, you know, whether you just want quality. You know, anyone can release it and go, there you go, I've got a movie out. Well, yeah, that's good that you've got a movie out, but does it actually fit what you actually want it to have happen? But it doesn't. 
you know, unfortunately. So, of course, we start off and in 2047, a distress signal is received from the event horizon. A starship that disappeared during its maiden voyage to Proxima Centauri seven years earlier and has mysteriously reappeared in the decaying orbit around Neptune. So we basically get this opening shot where um, it seems that uh, they had a little cut in between <laughs> this guy uh, getting up out of bed and you know getting uh, onto a rescue vessel. So so that situation is sort of like rather disjointed because you don't know, you can't really get a, a, a feel of what's going on. But we're introduced to a rescue vessel by the name of Lewis and Clark. Uh, it's dispatched because they're a rescue, uh, search and rescue um, ship, and they've got to go in and find out what it is now suddenly that we're getting a distress signal. They're not told what they're going to go to see. All they're being told is that they have to take on this person on board, which is Dr. Weir, which is um, Sam Neill's character, and basically go to wherever he sends them. So the ca the captain is Miller. Second in, in command is Lieutenant Stark, Pilot Smith, Medical Technician Peters, Engineer Ensign Justin, and Dr. DJ, and Rescue Technician Cooper. And of course, they're all joined by Dr. Weir. Now, as they're going along, they're like, they're, they have to do a... Um, Bit of a bit of an introduction about what's going on. So we've got a, a, a briefing. They're all sitting around, you know, at a at a table, and they're saying, "Okay, so you know, what are we heading out for?" And he goes, "Well, okay. Well, first of all, let me introduce my my crew." And so Miller goes through and tells, you know, gets everyone to introduce themselves to, you know, Professor or you know, Doctor Weir, and he said, they say, "Okay, so now we've introduced everyone. Can you, know, you tell us what the hell we're doing?" And he said, well, he said, basically what we're doing is we received a TTRS, received a uh, distress signal uh, coming from Neptune. And, he, and they're like, yep, okay, we got that. Uh, it was actually from a, a vessel called the Event Horizon. And of course, they all suddenly you know, look at each other and they're like, yeah, okay, well, that was bullshit because the Event Horizon exploded in space. You know, it was supposed to be the worst disaster ever. And uh, of course, Doctor, you know, because they all start to get really agitated about the fact they're, they're being pulled off leave um, to go to this. And unfortunately, when, as, as uh, Captain Miller says, when someone drops the ball, we're the ones that have to get, you know, called up and go and basically rectify it. So there he's like, okay, everyone, calm down as you were. And of course, they then say, okay, well, Doctor Weir, what, what is all this about? And he says, well, what was made public by the event horizon was not true. It was a deep, um, it was basically a, a space, a, a ship that was actually able to go deeper into space, go and search, you know, look through our universe sort of situation. And so the explosion that happened, it wasn't true. It was basically us trying to cover our ass again for the fact that we lost this ship. Now, suddenly, seven years later, and it's come back. So he, they say, they say, well, okay, well, you know, where is it? Where has it been for seven years? And he goes, well, this is what we're here to find out. And he said, they say, okay, well then, well, can you please tell us what goes on? He briefs them on the ship's experimental gravity drive with a simple visualization. This is not a simple visualization, and I will actually play it for you. But before I get to that, they say, he says, listen, I created a ship that can go faster, can travel uh, faster than light. And of course, they're like, yeah, well, that's bullshit. You can't travel faster than light. Uh, the, the theories of relativity won't allow it. And of course, Dr. Weir goes, yeah, okay, well, we, we can't mess around with that, of course. But what we can do is we can do something completely different, which is that we can make it that the, 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 sh the ship can jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to the other. Um, and they're like, well, okay, so how do you do that? And he goes, well, it's, it's all sort of math. <laughs> and they go, okay, well, we, well, 
just tell us. And he goes, okay, well, in layman's terms. Now, I'm going to play this clip, and this is what he says. And remember, he says to everyone, this is layman's terms. Now, just imagine that I'm telling you the exact same thing. You say to me, Paul, just tell me in layman's terms how you create a gravity drive that can get us from point A to point B. This is what I came up with to tell you. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. How? Well, it's, it's difficult to... It's all math. Try us, Doctor. Right, well, uh, using layman's terms, use a rotating magnetic field to focus a narrow beam of gravitons. These, in turn, fold space-time consistent with veil tensor dynamics until the space-time curvature becomes infinitely large and you produce a singularity. Now, a singularity... Layman's terms. Well, fuck layman's terms. Do you speak English? So as you can hear, layman's terms don't really mean layman's terms to Dr. Weir. He's basically, he's a, he's a very brilliant scientist and he's, he's very brilliant at what he does. So he, he does make that point that it's like it's not as easy as what it was to understand. But of course, so they do actually, he does actually do a, a bit of a visualization where he gets a bit of paper and he says, okay, if, you know, if you want to get from point A to point B, what's the best way to do it? And, and Justin says, oh, well, a straight line. And he goes, no, no, no. You know, the, the closest points between, the closest distance between two points is zero. So what, and that's what the gateway does. It folds time. So point A and point B coexist co in the same spot. The ship then can pass through it, and then the space just then folds back out out from itself. So that way it can do it. And he goes, oh, well, that, that's very interesting, Doctor. How did you, how did this come about? And he goes, well, it came about because I designed it. And they're like, oh, well, this is probably one of the reasons that they, they got you to come out. So, of course, we now see that uh, we're heading, we're getting closer and closer to um, Neptune because they've been out for 72 days. They've been in hypersleep. And they're heading out 72 days to go to Neptune. So they're getting closer and closer. And Smith, had, uh, Pilot Smith had said, you know, we're going to be you know, very, very close to it. So this is where, during the time they're actually heading out in the last, say, two hours of the voyage, this is when the, discu this, the discussion happens of, well, how did you do this and how did this actually happen? So, of course, the distress signal, uh, you know, sends out that says, okay, we're getting closer and closer. So now we're, we've got this very, very awesome action sequence where we're dropping through the clouds into the actual orbit of Neptune and they can't see where the hell event horizon is, but we know that it's actually, it's getting closer and closer because we've got alarms going off, we've got warning signals going, red lights going everywhere and they're like, you know, where the hell is it? And they're like, it's getting closer, it's going 300 metres, 200 metres, and then of course this is when um, one of the co-pilots, um, Peters, says, there it is, stop, stop, stop. And this is when Pilot Smith has to then full on thrusters um, to slow it down and out of the clouds come this amazing ship called the Event Horizon. And they basically say, well, this is just an amazing ship. Looks great. Can we do a flyby? So they do that. And then at, at, the, at that moment, you know, um, Captain Miller says, okay, Peters, can we start finding, see if we've got any life forms? And she's like, yeah, I'm doing the, the scans, but the scans are all over the ship. Like the life forms are everywhere. And he's like, okay, what do you mean everywhere? And she said, I can't lock them down. So she, he goes, well, okay, we've got to do the old fashioned way. We've got to do deck by deck, try and find where the hell these people are. So, of course, there's absolutely deep cold in there. Now, this is one of the technical errors they did in this movie because deep cold in there means basically deep cold. You're in a, basically a continuous freezer. But, of course, as we're going through the, the ship, we're seeing a bottle of water come flying past us 
that's got liquid you know, going inside of it. So deep freeze would mean that that water would be absolutely a solid block of ice. So that sort of like doesn't really constitute the fact that it's deep cold in there and it's it's, it's basically a, a living iceberg sort of situation. So anyway, they do happen to get uh, three of them, uh, three of them go onto the ship, four of them go on the ship, and Peters manages to get the gravity back online, and of course then everything sort of falls down all over the place. But before then. We see um, Justin, and he goes into the ship, and this is before we get the the gravity, you know, sort of like activated. And so they they all go in, and they're like, okay, so you've got to go left, you've got to go right. So they say to Justin, go down to engineering. So we've got to go and find what's going on. That's where the gravity drive is housed. So he's going down, and then of course it, you know, he's just <laughs> going further. This this corridor is so so long, and one of the amazing things about this corridor is that um, they've got these detonators all sp basically spanning the length of the of the ship in the center part of the ship and uh, Captain Miller says to to Professor uh, Dr. Weir you know he's, what the hell are these and he says well in the event of an emergency you can activate these these uh, detonators where they separate the back part of the ship to the front part of the ship and then the front becomes the lifeboat Keep that in mind, because that's going to be important for, for the movie. So Justin goes down the back, and basically all I can suggest is that he's going through a movable meat grinder. I mean, he presses the button to go in through engineering, and there is just these... Oh, it's almost like millions of knives on the walls that are, that are spinning around. And, of course, his first idea is like, what the hell is this, Doctor? And he goes, well, that's the that's the back part of engineering, so we need to keep that the gravity you know, contained, so that's the only way to do it. And he's like, oh, okay. So he goes into engineering. Now, all I can say is that not only are these huge amounts of knives everywhere on the wall that's spinning around like a an awesome blender, <laughs> but you've got these spikes all over the place. So if you slip and fall or whatever, uh, you're going to get impaled by one of these things. It's just, it's a very, very interesting design of the back part of a ship. Now, I've I haven't been on the back part of spaceships at all, so I wouldn't know, but this just seems to be a little bit over the top and excessive. So, of course, at that moment, you know, you can see that the um, gravity drivers is just slowly rotating, and then it stops, and this blast of white light just basically envelops Justin. And then all of a sudden, the center part of the the, um, the gravity drive, which is a, a, it's a, you know, a good-sized ball, suddenly disappears, and there's this black circle. And it's like, okay, now what do we all do when we don't know what things are? We stick our fingers in there. So what does Justin, what does Justin do? He goes there and he sticks his finger through this um, liquid and it comes out and he's like, oh, okay. Now he's also attached to a, a tether to make sure that if he gets in, tr in trouble, anybody from the Lewis and Clark can actually help him out. This sort of is another bit of continuity error because the event horizon is... You know, the way that we've got it set up that the event horizon is to where the Lewis and Clark is, we're basically, to go into the Lewis and Clark, you would have to go into the main door and then turn right, which means that his tether is now tethered around the corner, going down towards the back of the ship. So it's not in a straight line, which they actually make it seem to be when this situation happens. So, of course, Justin goes to the circular ball, which is just, you know, pulsating. It's black. He puts his hand into it to see if he can bring out whatever it is, and something grabs a hold of him and drags him in there. It's at that moment that his tether starts going a million miles an hour, and Cooper immediately, the rescue technician, goes, oh shit, something wrong with Justin, and he goes flying after him. This, of course, creates a situation where we get closer and closer, and we find that, that uh, Justin just 
emerges from this black hole sort of situation, but he is just, um, all I can say is in an, in an immediate coma with his eyes open. He's seen something so terrifying that it's immediately just immobilized him. It's at that moment that luckily Cooper, uh, not Cooper, um, uh, Peters, manages to bring the gravity online and everything, you know, just, we can now start walking around freely. Of course, we're now in a, a cut scene where we go into the medical bay and Peters is sort of like standing there over Justin and Justin's just like laying there looking out at nothing. I mean, no one can communicate with him, no one can talk to him. He's looking directly at you, you know, wherever you look at him, but he's just not communicating. And it's it's like, you know, well, you know, he might wake up in an hour or he might not wake up at all. What did he see? We don't know what he saw. It's at that moment that uh, Dr. Weir says, listen, we found a distress signal um, and it consists of an audio. And of course he plays it and it seems to consist a series of screams and howls. Uh, but DJ believes he can decipher the Latin phrase liberate me, which is supposed to be save me. But of course we find out that as we go along, there was actually a little bit more of that about that because DJ happens to be listening intensely to this um, this recording, and he does say during the course of the movie to um, Captain Miller, "Can you please, you know, come here? I've got to tell you something." And he says, "I've been listening to this recording over and over, and I thought it said liberate me, which is save me, but there was something else on the on the recording." And he plays it, and he goes, "See there," and, he, and of course, you know, Captain Miller's like, "I didn't hear anything," and he goes. It's actually liberate tutte me, save yourself from hell. So it's like, <laughs> this is where Miller looks at DJ and goes, are you fucking kidding me? So upon event, uh, entering the event horizon, the crew finds evidence of a massacre. Uh, as they search for the survivors, the ship's gravity drive activates, briefly pulling Justin into a resulting portal and causing a shockwave that damages Lewis and Clark, forcing the entire crew to board the event horizon. Now, I've always said during this movie, there was something not quite right about Dr. Weir. He seemed to be almost not... I mean, you know how you'll you you know you'll create something. You know, those of us who are you know, that way inclined to be able to, you know, design something or create something, and you're so proud of it, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it becomes, it becomes like really creepy, like you are really proud of it, and there's, so he's just got that, I'm home, this is my baby, I've designed this ship, he didn't build it, but he designed it, and it's my baby, I'm home, it, it's, it's, you know, daddy's arrived, that's where he's got this really, really weird sort of like situation, and at one stage, you know, you hear this enormous, like, banging throughout the ship. And it goes towards a door, you know, and it's banging on the door, and they've actually secured the door. And, of course, you know, Dr. Weir sort of, like, gets up and walks over to the door as if to say, please, let me open the door and find out. And they, they actually have to restrain him to say, you know, chill the fuck out, buddy. But he's just got that really weird air of something's not quite right with Dr. Weir. And unfortunately, this comes across even more and more as we go along in the movie. So, of course, now the Lewis and Clark is damaged. Now, they find out they've only got 14 hours of, you know, air, breathable air going on, or 16 hours, something like that. There's a small amount of hours that they've got before the scrubbers on the event horizon become soaked and they can't breathe there anymore. So there's no no more breathable air. So they have to go as, as soon as they possibly can and get the Lewis and Clark fixed, which a couple of them do go out onto the hull to find out there is a huge breach hole. And because of this explosion, they just have to, you know, fix it and they'll be on their way. Unfortunately, as we go along, you know, uh, things start happening to people. You know, people start disappearing and stuff like that. But the biggest one that actually happens is that Justin emerges 
from his catatonic state as a result of what he had seen on the other side. He attempts suicide. Now, this is a very interesting scenario because we've got Peters, who is looking after... Um, you know, uh, Justin at this stage, and he's laying on a slab. So he's like, you know, she walks past him once, and he's still laying there. Walks past again, past him again. Yep, he's still there. Walks past again, and he suddenly disappeared. And then you start hearing an alarm saying that somebody is in the airlock. And now we we all run to the airlock, and we find that Justin is standing there, and the airlock door is is sealed. And um, you know, she's trying to talk him down to say, you know, Justin, you open the door. You know, what are you doing? And he turns around and he says, you know you know because there was a there was this noise that was going on in the ship and she said he says to her did you did you hear it and she goes yes i heard it what was it and he goes it was the dark it shows you things and i will not go back to the for the dark they they can't uh, you know let me they they can't make me go back to the dark and she says no nobody's going to make you go back just i need you to open the door and come back into the ship and of course at that stage he goes over to the control panel the control panel says open you know, inner door or open outer door. And he hits open outer door. This is now the alarm's going off. He's got 30 seconds before he starts decompressing. And of course the alarm's going off and he almost like wakes up from an amazing, like he's being catatonic and now he wakes up even further. And he's standing there looking at everyone, the three people that are on the other side of the door saying, you know, where am I? Where am, where am I? And she's like, you know, um, you know, baby bear, you know what? And he's like, you know, you know, open the door and she's like i can't do it justin i can't open the door you've actually hit the override button and you start to see him decompressing where you know his veins are starting to pop up on his arm he's starting to bleed out through the eyes he's starting he's going to he's going to basically you know liquefy and explode luckily miller who is on the outside of it because he's on the lewis clark he manages to save um justin but unfortunately, the the crew have to place um, Justin into stasis because he's so badly injured. I mean, he he comes back into the ship after being you know sent out into space with no suit on, no nothing. He's got blood everywhere. He's throwing up blood. His body is just basically liquefying at that moment. Luckily, as I said, Miller, um, you know, was able to save him. Thank God. So the team begins to see people from their past and and they can only see in hallucinations corresponding to their fears and regrets. Miller sees uh, Corrick, a subordinate, who he was forced to abandon to his death. So that was a situation where, um, you know, basically Miller had said to the crew, I will never lose another crew member at all, ever. Not happening. I will sacrifice myself for the good of others. And he, he recounts a story where um, he was on another ship, and unfortunately... The ship had gone critical. He had to get away into the lifeboat, and there was another guy that was left back, Corrick. And unfortunately, as the ship started to come on, become on into engulfed in fire, this young guy was hit time and time again by these waves of fire, and he was killed. And of course, that has always haunted Miller for leaving this poor young guy to his death. That's not the only thing that happens to everyone. A lot of people see things. P Peters sees her son, who she left with her ex-husband with his legs covered in bloody lesions. So um, her son is basically bound by a wheelchair. He's got, she, he's got some sort of medical condition. And so because she's traveling around the galaxy, um, the, the son has to be left by, you know, with the, with the father, of course. But of course, this is a deep amount of regret to Peters because Peters just wants to be with her son. Um, but of course, that's not possible. She's out in, in a rescue mission. And so she sees underneath this cover this little boy happens to be her son looking directly at her and his son is her son's legs are just covered in lesions and bruises and cuts and it's just 
And he's, all, he's looking out at her as if to say, why, mummy? Why am I, why is this going on? Of course, Weir sees an eyeless vision of his late wife who committed suicide, urging him to join her. And of course, what happened was that he sees a situation where he watches her commit suicide. He'd been gone for many, many years, you know, doing his research and creating this amazing ship. And of course, you see her laying in a bathtub full of nice warm water and she slits her wrist. And of course, he's got that whole thing of like, you know, I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you and... You know, and, and he's got a deep amount of regret, but unfortunately, this sort of like, you know, becomes a, an ever-encompassing situation in this movie that it, it becomes even worse as we go along. So they discover a video log of the Event Horizons crew, and this one is, I have pressed pause on this many times, and the cutscene is only, yeah, I think you'll see maybe 10 seconds if you are lucky. You'll see basically what happens is Peters and um, one of the other girls, I can't remember her name. Oh, God, I've got, to, I've got to pull up her name because it's going to annoy me. So Peters and uh, Stark are going through the um, ship's logs to basically find out exactly what happened to this crew. Then, of course, you know, as we're seeing, we're seeing what they're looking at, but we can't see it because it's on a control panel. Of course, they replay it back, and <laughs> I think this may be one of the scenes that was heavily reduced down because, as I said, you only see 10 seconds at that if you're lucky enough to see it. And if you want to see it, just remember, you've got to press pause and you've got to see it frame by frame. So they see uh, the, ent the entire crew fornicating and mutilating each other. Uh, and, and when I say fornicating, apparently there was a scene where there was um, uh, a woman being... Yeah, we won't go into that one. All we can say is that you see the last part where one of the guys, one of the crew members, has ripped his own eyeballs out and is showing the camera saying Liberate me, which is actually supposed to be Liberate tutte me, which is basically save yourself from hell. But he's got cuts over him, he's, there's blood everywhere. But the entire crew was just going fucking berserk. So it's almost like a full on terrifying, the world's most terrifying orgy that's going on. And everyone watches this and goes, holy fucking shit, you know. Um, and this is shortly after first engaging the gravity drive. So you can imagine what actually happened, you know, when they got to the other side of wherever the hell they were going. The log ends with a shot of the event's captain holding out his eye, his own eyes gouged from his socket, speaking the complete Latin phrase from the early distress call, which DJ translates as Liberate tutte me ex iferis, which is save yourself from hell. Deducing that the ship's drive opened a gateway to a hellish dimension outside of the known universe, and that the event horizon has somehow attained sentience, Miller decides to, to destroy it and orders an evacuation. So it's really interesting because this movie almost becomes like Hellraiser. Um, it's almost like Hellraiser on a ship. Because and this this ship has become is brought back something from hell. It's 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 alive essentially. So it's reacting and and every time that something happens, it reacts stronger and stronger to the to the to the ship. And of course, you know this is when Miller says, "I'm going to destroy this motherfucker." And of course, you know Weir is like, uh, "What do you mean you're going to destroy it?" And he goes, "I'm going to be you know basically get on the Lewis and Clark. I'm going to go far enough away. I'm going to fire tactical um, nukes at the ship." And destroy this fucking ship as much as I possibly can until there's nothing left. Fuck the ship. I'm out. And of course, this is when Weir says, you know, you can't leave. She won't let you. And he goes, you know, I don't care what you're saying, Dr. Weir. We are out of here. And he goes, no, no, no. I don't, you don't seem to understand. I'm home. This is my home. I've, I'm here. And she, he just disappears. And it's almost like, okay, 
This is a one for all, all for one. You want to stay on this fucking ship there, Weir? Go ahead. But I am taking my crew, and I'm getting the fuck out of here. So, you know, he, he just doesn't care. So Peters is lured to her death by a hallucination of her son. Unfortunately, this is another situation where, you know, she sees her son running around, and it's like, hang on a minute, he's in a wheelchair... How could he possibly be running, be running around? And the hallucinations are getting stronger and stronger because now the ship knows that, oh, everyone's going to be leaving me? Yeah, you're not going to leave. You're my brand new crew and we're going to go out, uh, go off somewhere. You're not leaving anywhere, so <laughs> you're staying with me. But of course, as Weir is, as, uh, sorry, um, as Peters is getting some uh, last minute air um, canisters because obviously they've got to breathe on the way back on the Lewis and Clark and it's like well we've got you know so many months you know on on board the ship we've got 72 days just to get into the orbit that we started from to get back to earth we've got you know many months coming up so we need breathable air so he, she's getting all these um, air canisters to put on the Lewis and Clark obviously she sees her son and she chases after him unfortunately she doesn't see this huge you know gaping hole in the floor she falls through it into the gravity drive and she's killed it's at that moment that we see that um professor uh sorry doctor i keep saying professor he's not a professor i need more iced coffee dr weir is standing there and he then gets once again another you know hallucination seeing that his wife is standing there saying you know i've got such sights to show you then of course unfortunately you see and when when she said you know i've got such sights to show you it's almost like ah so we do have a little bit from hellraiser because that's what pinhead said so you know we need to understand that yeah there's a couple of little things that you know we've got so unfortunately we gouges out his own eyes and is possessed by the evil presence and uses an explosive device to destroy the lewis and clark so you know, Miller is getting ready to get the fuck off this ship and he sees what can only be described as, you know, we are running away from the Lewis and Clark back onto the event horizon. And he, he basically Miller gets onto the comm system and says to uh, uh, Smith, you know, listen, I think we've got a problem. I think he was on the Lewis and Clark and he's like, no, 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 that's impossible, sir. I've just put her back together. And he goes, no, seriously, he's on, he's, something's going on and he's, he's got one of the detonators and he's put it on board the ship. So, of course, this is when Smith is basically, you know, ripping the, the whole ship apart. Now, during this time, Cooper is on the outside of the spacecraft because he's still doing the last bit of modifications um, to stop the venting and he, that they can go home. So he's got this last little bit that he's actually having to do. And of course, at that moment, you know, Smith is running around trying to find in this, in the holding bay of the Lewis and Clark, where the fuck is this detonator? And sees a, uh, a pack that's got some blood dripping on it. He goes, ah, gotcha. Goes over, opens the pack up, presses the button. The detonator cover opens up and it's got five seconds. And he's like, got that look on his face like, fuck me. Three, two, one. The whole thing explodes. And of course, this sends a blasting Cooper off into space. He's aboard the the, the wing of the the um, of the Lewis and Clark. He's going off into the into the to the universe, and it's like, oh, holy shit! So unfortunately, we've got now that situation where he's off into space. Weir kills DJ by vis vivisecting him and corners Stark on the bridge. So. Or, it's just it's just amazing what he does to poor old uh, DJ. He, uh, he DJ's in the uh, in the medical area, and Miller says, "Listen, if you happen to see you know Weir, kill him." And he's like, "I'm I'm right on it." And he gets a, what can only be described as like a nail gun out of a, a holding a sort of like container. 
turns around and there's Weir standing right in front of him and he grabs a hold of him, slams him down onto a, a you know, like onto an examination table, knocking poor old DJ out. Then of course DJ happens to come alive, uh, you know, out of his you know being knocked out Im- immediately because um, Weir is taking a scalpel and going basically all the way down his sternum. And this is when Miller runs in to see that he has been hung in in air by these hooks and of course all his intestines and everything are now out on the on the floor and poor old DJ is basically vivisected and he's just sitting there and it's like okay so we it's this is getting even worse you know he's just out of control so Miller confronts Weir who's overpowers him and in and then initiates a 10 minute countdown until the event horizon will return to the other dimension by activating the gravity drive this is when Cooper sort of like he's amazing he saves the day and uh, Cooper, having used his spacesuit oxygen supply to propel himself back to the ship, appears at the bridge window. Weir shoots at him, shattering the window, and is sucked into space by the ensuing decompression. Miller, Stark, and Cooper survive and manage to steal to seal off the ship's bridge with their own ship destroyed. Miller plans to split the event horizon in two and use its forwards life section sorry forward section as a lifeboat. Unfortunately, he is attacked by the manifestation of Korok, which turns out to be the resurrected Dr. Weir. Miller fights him off and detonates the explosive, sacrificing himself. So in this situation, let's go back a little bit, because I want to overshadow this. Um, you know, Miller has to go to where the gravity drive is and sees, because he's actually activating all the detonators. And the last detonator, he's got the, the, the control um, the little control thing and he says to to cooper and to stark you know if something happens to me get the fuck off the ship detonate the the hallway and just leave and they're like we're not gonna leave without you of course this is when he goes back to the gravity drive to actually grab the control panel to actually uh, initiate the explosion and of course this is when this guy Korok turns up and you know he's he's firing you know basically you know a whole lot of flames at him and he's like no i didn't yeah the, you are not him i saw him die and of course, this is when it re-manifests into Doctor Weir, and Doctor Weir says, "See, she wouldn't let me. Li- she wouldn't, you know, sacrifice me. She won't let you leave. She won't anyone let anyone leave. And now you're all coming with me." And he's beating the sh- he's beating the shit out of Miller, and this is when Miller says, "Yeah, I know. You, we are going to hell." And he goes, "You know nothing." And he goes, "Hell is only a word. The reality is much, much worse." And basically, puts his hand. Miller puts his gives his um. Weir gets his hand onto Miller's head and basically says, let me show you. And he gives an overview of what hell looks like with his entire crew being continuously um, ripped apart and hung and you name it, they're, they're getting it all done. And he's saying, you know, about this whole thing and he's like, you know, do you see? And then he goes, do you see? And this is when Miller goes, do you see? And this is when Miller looks at Dr. Weir and goes, yeah. I see, and he's got he's got the control panel in his hand, and presses the button, and then of course then you start seeing all the explosions down the hallway, separating the ship. It's at that moment the gravity drive activates and pulls the ship's stern section into a black hole, and Stark and Cooper are basically standing on the bridge of the first part of the event horizon, watching Miller being sucked down into I, we can only assume the realms of hell or or, or dimension that he was they were going to. And of course, they look at him. They look as the ship disappears, and uh, this is when you know um, Stark basically says Miller, as if to say, "Oh my God, he did. He sacrificed himself for us." As he, as the explosions were happening, this is when Doctor Weir was like, "No, you know, because he wanted everyone to go with him. He's only managed to grab a hold of Miller." But of course, I guess you know, one soul is better than everyone else's. If we can get one, we we get one. 
So, of course, this is when Stark and Cooper have to enter into the stasis um, beside a comatose Justin, Justin to wait to be rescued. 72, 72 days later, the wreckage of the event horizon is boarded by a rescue party who discover the remaining crew in stasis. So they're going through and they have to, they're thinking, and these rescue people are just, they're in full, you know, um, you know, hazmat suits and stuff like that. And uh, they start releasing everyone from their stasis. And of course, you know, um, Stark comes out and she's coughing and spluttering because they're basically in, encased in water. So, because they did say in the beginning of the movie that once the, you know, the the gravity drive is hit and they start accelerating towards, you know, um, Neptune, your body can liquefy if it's not already in liquid. So liquid basically compensates for this fact that you will become liquefied um, when the hyperdrive starts, it kicks off. So, you know, she comes out, she's coughing and spluttering and you see, you know, the guy picking her up and going, it's okay, it's okay, you're safe, you know, you're you're safe now. And he goes, you know, you're with us. And she, he presses the button, and Stark sees Weir posing as one of the rescue rescuers, and screams in ter- terror because he sits there and goes, "It's okay, you're with us." And of course, this is when she just screams. But Stark wakes up and realizes it was a nightmare. Cooper and the rescue team comfort the newly awakened and terrified Stark, as the bulkhead unexpectedly, unexpectedly closes. The movie goes black. And that's the end of the movie. I've always enjoyed this movie. I've always loved to watch this movie. It's been one of those movies that I haven't sat there and gone, oh my God, can we get this you know, movie going? It's, it's from the beginning to end. It's a continuous roller coaster ride of excitement. It's enjoyment. Um, I've, I've always loved the, um, the grossness of it when you come to see these people ripping each other apart. As I said, the, it just feels to me that there is a part of the movie that was disjointed. They didn't actually put... There was something they needed to put in the center of it, and they didn't because, you know, Paramount's sitting there going, quick, we've got to get it out before Titanic. Who gives, the, who gives a fuck? You were going to get destroyed by Titanic anyway. And I understand that, but, you know, come on, you've destroyed part of the movie, and now it, it becomes almost like, okay, so we're watching... Okay, what part are we watching now? Oh, okay, we're watching this part. But why were we watching that part? Hang on, where did this part come from? Tell us about this part. It just It's all over the place, parts of it. This is where it's sort of like it becomes disjointed on a couple of occasions. But for the most part, it's it's a great movie. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching the movie. I've always... I watch this maybe four or five times a year. Um, actually, that might be a little bit um, overambitious. Let's go with two to three. Let's not go crazy. Two to three times a year. But it's still enjoyable. Great sound. Great special effects. Um, all the There's no cheesy acting. All the actors are amazing. It's just such a shame that it didn't garner such a great response when it was released at the cinema. But you know what? It's okay. It's now got um, you know the cult status on on DVD, so that's all all good. But uh, look on the scale of zero to five buckets of blood. Zero being how do I get the last ninety nine minutes of my life back? To five, it was a perfect movie, and I'd watch it all over again. I'm going to stick with a solid four point five. Only reason because I can't give it a five is because it was. Um, chopped up in such a way that there was such so many parts of it missing, um, but what they gave us was good enough to constitute giving it a four point five. So look, yeah, you know, as I said, if you get a chance to watch this, if you come across it, or you know you you know find that you can download it from somewhere, or you can go and buy it somewhere, I will definitely recommend you guys doing it because it was it was a great watch, and I just I do enjoy that movie. But look, before we go, remember we always love to do Paul's fun facts. <laughs>
So as you can appreciate, there is quite a lot of trivia in this movie. In actual fact, there's 81 items, including 23 spoilers. And if you think I'm going to sit here and do 81 items, you are sorely mistaken because I'm not going to do that one. But I, it's definitely on IMDb. You can sit and read it if you want to. But I'll just do a couple of, uh, you know, maybe a handful of them just to let you know what's going on. So Paul W.S. Anderson, he's the uh, director, initially cut out of the film uh, initial cut of the film ran 130 minutes and was quite graphically violent, so much so that both the test audiences and the film barked at the finished product. Paramount ordered him to cut the film by 30 minutes and tone down some of the violence, a decision he now regrets, as he didn't have enough time for a proper re-edit and therefore believes he cut out 10 minutes too much. Well, yeah, that's I can definitely say that, because that seems exactly what he did. Although it was announced in 2012 that producer Lloyd Levin had found a video a VHS tape that might contain a full version of the film Anderson revealed in 2017, that neither he nor, he nor Levin had seen it yet, as they have been both been too busy to be in the same country with a VHS player. Although he believes that the condition of the copy will be too poor to use, Anderson has stated that he is still excited to see what is on it one day. So let's hope that maybe one day we'll get the director's cut of Event Horizon and we'll get to see all of it. At around five minutes of the at around five minute mark of the movie, a rotational shot of the space station over the Earth took nearly a third of the film's visual effects budget. Can you imagine that? It a third of the budget just for that shot? It's not that great a shot anyway. It's just, it's a very forgettable throwaway shot. So I don't know why they would spend a third of the budget on that. I mean, come on, you know? But, okay, a third of the budget, why not? So now, when I said that this movie had a lot from Hellraiser, a lot of ideas from Hellraiser, this is definitely, will show you exactly what they were talking about. So the script originally described the gateway machine as a smooth and featureless black orb, 10 meters in diameter suspended in mid-air between large rotating me mechanical arms. It also is said to contain a stable black hole within it at all times, which the ship used as a power source, as opposed to briefly creating a temporary one. Paul W.S. Anderson decided to redesign it to involve interlocking circles as a homage to the puzzle box in Hellraiser which served as an inspiration. So there we go. When I said to you that this was his inspiration, there we go, that was it. You can almost see when you see the gravity drive that it is so close to the puzzle box, it's not funny. And I don't know if I, whether you slow the movie down, you might be able to see, um, the, and I have never seen it, I'm only just guessing, that there may be a configuration that it might look like the, the Lament configuration in Hellraiser. But see, there we go, that was the inspiration. So the spacesuits worn by the actors weighed 65 pounds, or 30 kilograms each. Lawrence Fishburne re nicknamed his Doris due to the weight. Standing upright in them for longer periods could lead to back injuries. But sitting down was not possible either due to the backpack. So special hanging poles were constructed on the set so actors could rest on them between takes. So that's, that's pretty hardcore where you can't sit down. You can't really stand up. So you've got to be hung from the, the ceiling. That's that. Well, there you go. You suffer for your art, as they say. So just one more fun fact before I might get into a couple of spoilers. I don't want to ruin the movie for you. But the event horizon was named after the theoretical boundary surrounded a black hole within which gravitational attraction is so great that nothing, not even radiation, can escape because of the escape velocity is greater than the speed of light. Technically, it is where the physical universe ends and the physical laws no longer apply. So the ship's name is symbolic for its journey beyond the borders of the known universe. 
there you go. The model of the Event Horizon includes a complete X-Wing from Star Wars as part of the antenna array. The model is, is visible on the lower portion of the Event Horizon during the first flyby by the Lewis and Clark. I'm going to definitely have to look at that one. I want to see that one for sure. But uh, yeah, there you go. There's there's some trivia. Let's see if we can find some spoilers for you, with it, which is not going to destroy the movie. So I'm going to do just two or three spoilers because I really don't want to destroy this movie for you if you've never seen it. So the rotating corridor, nicknamed Meat Grinder, that separates the gravity drive from the rest of the ship is supposed to represent the nine circles of hell from Dante's poem Inferno. It leads to the very center of hell, represented by the gravity drive itself. It turned out to be the most problematic set piece to film. Only shots with a fixed camera could be done since the camera operators became disorientated and were unable to keep the camera steady. Lawrence Fishburne could not perform his run through the tunnel in one take due to the same problem. The final scene was compromised of se uh, comprised of several shorter takes and when the fireball effects was filmed, a piece of cloth started to burn and caused a small fire. See, there you go. For Jason Isaac's death scene, which was uh, DJ, the plan was originally for his entrails to still be attached to him as he hung over them. Isaac was then supposed to raise his head, showing that he was still alive, prompting Fishburne's character to shoot him in the head to put him out of his misery. But of course, that didn't happen. They just basically spilled his guts out under the, uh, under the table, and he was just basically left hanging like that. Okay, so the very last um, spoiler I'm going to tell you is about the um, extended orgy scene. Uh, bear with me because it is quite long. So just <laughs> sit there. And this is something that was actually deleted. Now it's gone from how big this was to 10 seconds. And I'm saying 10 seconds at very generous because this is amazing to see how, how big this really was. So the infamous blood orgy video was also much longer. Parts which are still in the scene like one of the crew members sticking his fingers deep into the other one's eyes and a female crew member sodomizing a male crew member with an iron pipe were even more violent in the original version of the scene. There were also a lot of lot more extended shots of the Event Horizon crew naked and covered in blood, having violent sex and raping and eating each other. A more graphic version of the scene where a crew man, a crew man pulls his own intestines out of his mouth. One crew member is held and stabbed in the back of the head with, with a spike and part of his mouth and teeth pop out. Other crew member is crawling on the floor while others are hitting his legs with steel bars smashing them to pieces as he screams and is crawling away leaving bloody pieces of his legs behind. One woman has screws drilled into her teeth, another woman is restrained while one of her arms is broken and torn off with a hunk of metal. One more woman has her breasts mauled and then ripped off and eaten by another crewman who is raping her. Some other parts of the scene were also cut. <laughs> the reason why this scene disturbed the test audience was because the filmmakers, in order to make the scene look more realistic and therefore a lot more violent, hired real-life amputees for special effects scenes where the Event Horizon crew members had their body parts damaged in many ways, and porn actors were hired to make the sex and rape scenes more graphic. According to producer Jeremy Bolt and director Paul W.S. Anderson, during the screening of a rough cut of the movie, some audience members started fainting while watching the scene. Yeah, I can almost imagine that. That I mean, the, the, the scenes itself were graphic. And as I said, within 10 seconds, you've got to look really, really quickly unless you want to pause it and go back step by step. But yeah, that is, that's pretty intense why, with everything going on there. So yeah. That's a, that's a couple of, <laughs> couple of spoilers there that uh, I don't think it's going to really 
you know detract from the movie but that's that's stuff that's rather interesting to to be left out anyway thank you very much once again for coming to visit me at the horror crypt once again i'm so sorry i forgot to do the the inaugural one year anniversary but last week was my one year anniversary and i'm loving every minute of it of coming here reviewing movies getting a chance to talk to you guys and as i said before please reach out to me i will i'll make an effort if you want to make an effort and i've got t-shirts that are going to be printed up fairly soon i'm also going to get stickers um you know uh, done up so if you want stickers if you want t-shirts you've got to get in touch with me um reach out to me and i will be more than happy to send you a t-shirt and sticker just to say thank you for um listening to this podcast anyway come back next week for another awesome episode i don't know what we're going to do next week but i'll come up with something and in the meantime i say it every single week and i'll continue to say it i'll creep you later Mm -hmm.